you settle in this morning, I want to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to think about some of your favorite Christmas songs, okay? Just take a moment, think about your favorite Christmas song and see if, if any of these make your list. Listen to this first one here. Anybody? That one? Land on your... Okay, yeah. All right, great. How about this one here? Here's another classic. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Christmas Eve. Just like the ones I used to know. So anybody white Christmas? Is that okay? All right. Okay, uh couple more. Listen to this one. This is one of my favorites. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Pretty good one, isn't it? How about this one last one? We'll jazz it up a little bit. We may hear this one later on. Yeah. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Snowing and blowing up bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop A lot of great Christmas songs out there, right? We hear them this time of year. There's radio stations that just play nothing but Christmas from Thanksgiving until, until Christmas Day. So there are a lot of, of great Christmas songs out there. And for the next two weeks, we are going to be looking at two of the greatest Christmas songs from the Bible, all right? And these, these songs may be songs that you have read through a time or two. Maybe you've even studied them, or maybe you've never read them at all. But I, I guarantee you one thing. These are songs that you will not hear sung this time of year, but they are truly beautiful and glorious and worshipful songs sung by the mother of Jesus and the father of John the Baptist. So this morning we're taking a break from our Acts series, and we're going to look at the songs of Christmas, and we're going to begin by looking at Mary's song, all right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to tackle a large passage of Scripture this morning. We're going to look at verses 26 through 56, so 30 verses, which means we got to get flying, right? And in this passage that we're going to look at, there are three separate events that we're going to uh, look at this morning. You have Gabriel appearing to Mary to tell her about the coming of Jesus. Then you have Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth. And lastly, you have Mary's song, which is going to be really the, the main focus of the sermon this morning. But before we get there, we need to begin with Mary's encounter with Gabriel so that we can understand what prompted her to say what she does 
in verses 46 through 55. So let's begin first by looking at the reason for Mary's song. The reasons for Mary's song and why she says what she does. What, what prompts this? Well, first, we learn that she has an unlikely encounter. That's the first point. She has an unlikely encounter. Look at verse 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Let's stop there for just a minute. Notice what we have here. We learn in this passage that this well-known angel named Gabriel goes to this young woman to a betrothed virgin in a lowly city called Nazareth. And I want you to notice something here right off the bat that is extremely significant. And it's this. Mary's nobody special. She's not. She is an unlikely person. She is an inexperienced, insignificant, and unimportant woman up to this point. And I know that sounds mean, but that's just the facts, folks. And, and we're going to see here in just a moment, spoiler alert, okay? I'm, I'm going I'm to spill the beans. Y'all probably already know this, right? He is going to tell her that she is going to give birth to a son. And that that son is to be the promised Messiah. The one promised by God from the very beginning who's going to make right all that was messed up in the garden when Adam and Eve fell. The one from Abraham who is going to bless all of the nations of the world. God's forever king from the family of David who is going to rule and reign forever and ever. This is very shocking. Very unexpected here. And the fact that this woman is from Nazareth is also shocking. You see, Nazareth was a spot on the map. It's an important place for us now because we're looking back in hindsight. But in this day, Nazareth was hick town. It was the Radiator Springs of the Middle East for you Cars fans in here, okay? That's what it was. I, I'm from Arkansas. There are a lot of towns like that in Arkansas. One town in particular that comes to mind is Mark Tree, Arkansas. You ever heard of Mark Tree? Anybody? Do y'all know anybody from there? Oh, you do? Okay, well, I apologize for this. Beforehand. <laughs> what are the odds? I can say Toad Suck. That's, where, that's near where I'm from, okay? But Mark Tree or Toad Suck, Arkansas, it, it would be like saying that the most powerful world leader our world has ever known is going to come out of Mark Tree, Arkansas. I mean, that'd be pretty unbelievable, right? This is how unlikely a person and unlikely a place was. A well-known pastor by the name of Dr. Kent Hughes said this of this situation. He said, Mary was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. So this is the first reason Mary is worshipful at the end of this story. She is worshipful because she is an unlikely person who has this unlikely encounter. The second reason she is worshipful is because, number two, she has shown divine favor. 
Look at verses 28 through 33. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow! What a message! Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to have a son. And she is to call that son Jesus, and he's going to be great. He's going to be the son of the Most High. He's God's man, God's promised Messiah, God's forever king. His is the throne of David. And he is going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And he says there is no end to his kingdom. Now, put yourself in Mary's sandals for just a minute, all right? This well-known angel that she has read about in the scriptures appears to her and says, you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. He says, in your womb is Jesus, the great one, the son of the most high, the king of all kings. Mary is shown great favor by God. Notice Gabriel says that. He greets her and he says, greetings, O favored one. Then he says, you have found favor with God. Folks, Mary was like everyone else. To our teenage girls in here, Mary was around your age and and no different from you. There was nothing special about her. She was fallen, a sinner, born and raised with sinners in need of a Savior, yet she has shown this great, unmerited, and undeserved favor. Another reason for Mary's praise, field response. Another reason for her song is because she learns of a marvelous mystery. It's point number three here. Look at verses 34 through 36. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary here responds like any rational person would. Her response is, how? How is this going to happen? I don't understand. I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a baby? And I love the way Gabriel responds down in verse 37. Look at it. This is your verse for the week in your Bible study. He says, nothing will be impossible with God. He he says, Mary, you're thinking of man's inability, not God's capability. And we often do that, don't we? He says, you don't know it yet. But your relative also, Elizabeth, 
who was barren has conceived in her old age. And that was a work of God. And he says, this will be as well. He says, God is going to do this miraculous work. He is going to cause you to conceive while remaining a virgin. And though I know Mary didn't understand the ins and outs of how God was going to bring this about and do this great work, she believed that God was going to do this great work. And this mysterious work that God does is another reason why she worships the Lord here. The incarnation is a mystery, isn't it? How God takes on flesh, becomes one of us, is born of a virgin, and he lives and he's fully God and, and, and fully man. Completely God, completely man. That's, that's mysterious, right? There are a lot of mysteries in the scriptures. There are a lot of mysterious things about our God. Mysteries that go beyond our understanding. They don't define reason. They don't go against reason, but they do go beyond us. And listen, that should not discourage us, should it? I mean, think about it. Shouldn't an infinite eternal and all-knowing sovereign all-powerful everywhere present god be beyond us what's beyond me is people who think well i can't understand him so he must not be that way really spoken from the created being about the creator it's ludicrous shouldn't we be glad to know that we serve a god who is above and beyond us that's our god You really want to serve a God who can be explained completely and fully to a preschooler? No. And that's not the God we serve. Our God, the one true God of the scriptures, is a God that we can truly know, is a God we can move into relationship with and grow in our knowledge of. He is a God who has revealed to us all we need to know about him from his word, but he is also a God who cannot fully and completely be known by finite beings like us because he's an infinite God. His ways are beyond us. His thoughts are are beyond our thoughts. And the fact that God is above and beyond us and that our heads hurt when we plunge into the depths of who God is should lead us to worship. Should. It's what happened with Mary. That was her response. What exactly does Mary do when she receives the news? Notice Mary's response. Number one, she responds with humility. That's the next point. She responds with humility. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Throughout Scripture, God has given these announcements of these special children to be born, and they are met with a variety of responses. Remember Abraham's wife? She laughed. Zechariah, in the previous passage, when he is told by the angel Gabriel that his wife, who is barren, is going to have a son, John the Baptist, he has his doubts. But we're told that Mary believed and committed herself to the Lord. She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, let me tell you, there was some great risk involved in Mary being willing to bear this child without having been with her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. He could have left her, 
She could have been an outcast. It could have ruined her future or, or worse. Yet she was willing to serve the Lord no matter the cost. Mary wasn't about Mary and what Mary wanted. She was about God and what he wanted. And folks, we can learn a lot here from Mary's response. We learn here, no matter the calling God's placed on our life, no matter the cost, no matter what God's will is, for our life, we are to respond in the exact same way she does. We are to respond with, thy will be done. We're to respond like Mary and say, God, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your will. Great response. She responds with humility. Two, she also responds with shared worship. She enters into corporate worship with her cousin. Look at verse 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me for behold when the sound of your greeting came to my ears the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the lord this is a great passage lots of great principles here i love this account that luke records for us here ladies you want some good examples of the types of ladies you should strive to be like you have Great examples here with Mary and Elizabeth. Notice, number one, the center of their conversation is Jesus. You see that? Their meeting is all about him. It's all about Jesus. Believers, when we meet together, we should talk about Jesus. Shouldn't we? We should talk about the fact that he is the hope that we have, believers. He's the only hope we have. It should be a regular topic of conversation for us let's let's be honest if he's important in our lives in the least bit he should come up in the conversation right how many of your parents get together and talk about your kiddos right grandparents talk about your grandkids guys get together and and talk about sports ladies that that craft together you get together and you talk about crafting and, and quilting and sewing. We talk about things that are important to us. So if that's the case, Jesus should be a regular topic of conversation for us. And he is with Mary and Elizabeth. Look at verse 39 through 42 once again. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah. And greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So we, we learn here after Mary receives this incredible news and conceives, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And notice what happens when she enters the house. This is very interesting. We are told that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped and the Spirit of God revealed to Elizabeth that Mary was with a special child. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Who is Elizabeth pregnant with? 
No. John the Baptist, very good. She's the, the wife of Zechariah. We learned in the previous passage that she is pregnant miraculously with John the Baptist. And how many of you know what John's main role was in God's kingdom story? You know what it is? Is the voice crying in the wilderness, right? Pointing people toward and directing people toward Jesus. And here in this passage, you have them being used by God in an incredible way from the womb to point his mother to Jesus. We're told here that he leaped in the womb and the Spirit of God in response to that action fills Elizabeth and leads her to praise this child with Mary. It's an amazing story. And I love Elizabeth's response. Remember, her child's special too, right? She's got a special child. In the previous passage, we learn that Zechariah saw Gabriel as well, just like Mary, and, and he is told that their son will be special as well, and he will be used to prepare the way for the Lord. But notice Elizabeth directs all of her praise toward Mary's son. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Do you see the humility here with Elizabeth? Elizabeth was not all about Elizabeth. She's all about Jesus. She looks at Mary and says, you are blessed because you're going to be the mother of my Lord. And she is all about Jesus. And isn't that just how John was as well? Like mother, like son, right? Her son was the exact same way. Remember John? People were looking to him and following him. And what does he do? He points his followers to Jesus. He said, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. John, too, is not all about John, but all about Jesus. And the application for us, folks, is very, very simple. Are you all about you or are you all about Jesus? That's it. Pretty simple, isn't it? Are you all about you, or are you all about Jesus? I don't care who you are, how many titles you have by your name, trophies you have on your shelf, degrees on your wall. Your life is not to be centered upon you, but upon him. That's the truth. That's the truth, and we learn that from Elizabeth here in this passage. Notice what else she says. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I love this. I want to point something out to you. We haven't looked at this passage, but we will talk about Zechariah more next week. But in the previous passage, Zechariah was given this promise of a son, and he doubted. He said, but my wife is old. How nice of him to say that, by the way. How is uh, she going to have a child, he says. She's too old. And, and the angel said to him, okay, Zechariah, your wife is still going to have a child, but you're not going to be able to speak until that baby comes into the world. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I like to think that Zechariah, though still mute at the time, had his hearing and was in earshot of what Elizabeth says to Mary here. And uh, even if he was not, I'm sure he heard about it later on because we have it recorded for us here. She says, blessed are you, Mary, because you have believed what Gabriel said to you. Unlike my husband back there, right? 
She praises Mary, right? For being a great woman of faith. So, so we learn here that Mary responds to Gabriel's message by spending time with Elizabeth and the two of them have a wonderful and worshipful time together. So Mary responds with humility. She responds with shared worship. And, and third and finally, notice that Mary also responds with a time of personal praise. After receiving this incredible message from Gabriel, Mary responds with personal praise. Look at it with me, verses 46 through 56. I'm going to read this passage for you, and then I'm going to end by just drawing out some key principles from this song that I believe makes this song such a wonderful and worshipful Christmas song. Look at it beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty." He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now this beautiful, worshipful passage of scripture has been referred to by many as the, the Magnificat, which is Latin for glorify, magnify, exalt. It's also referred to as Mary's exaltation or the Magnificat or Mary's song. In fact, if you, you may have that in the title section of your Bibles. Does it say that, Mary's song or the Magnificat? Yeah, yeah. This is known as the song of Mary. And what I want to do is I want to draw out certain elements to this song that I believe make this song one of the most wonderful and, and worshipful and glorious songs that we have in the Bible. First notice, Mary's song is a biblical song. It's a biblical song. This song is saturated with scripture. In this song, we hear references made to Psalm 103, Psalm 22, Psalm 147, Psalm 98, 1 Samuel 1, Job 12. And what that tells us about Mary is she knows her Bible. She knows her Bible, and when she praises God in prayer and in song, his words just flow from her mouth. J.C. Ryle said this about Mary's song. He said, Mary gives expression with her lips to what has been treasured in her heart, and what's been treasured in her heart is God's word. She knows her Bible. And we also see she's memorized a lot of it, right? And when it comes time to praise God, sing praises to him, she simply recites his words back to him. And folks, this is a great point for us, a great truth about worship here. When you sing songs back to God, the best kind of songs to sing are biblical songs. You ever reading through your Bible and you read something that we sing on Sunday morning? Like, hey, we, we do that, right? Yeah, that's good. It's good for us to sing God's word back to him. And, and when we pray, it's good for us to pray 
God's words back to him, to pray his word back to him and embrace those promises and thank him for what he has done. Heard a story about an old seminary professor who was a tough professor and he used to critique his students' prayer. He would call upon them to pray and then he would spend time critiquing their prayer, showing them what's biblical and not biblical about the prayer and use that as a teaching time. That's a pretty tough professor there, right? Well, one day he called upon this first-year student who was absolutely terrified about being critiqued. And so he stood up and he just prayed this prayer. He said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And he went through the whole Lord's Prayer. And then afterwards he sat down feeling safe and secure that his prayer would be free from critique. And he was right about that. But the point is this. You you can never go wrong when you're praying the Bible back to God. So when you don't have the words to say, listen, Scripture will do. Scripture will do. And and Mary understood that. Her song is a biblical song. Second, Mary's song is a humble song. Look at verse 48. And then look at verses uh, 51 and 52. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. You see, Mary knows she's a lowly and unlikely person. Her attitude is not, it's about time you called upon me. It's not her attitude, is it? Her attitude is, thank you for even considering me. Thank you for using me in spite of who I am. And and she understands because God has chosen her. It's his desire to show his strength through lowly and weak people because that's what she is. And that's what you are. And that's what I am. We are lowly and we are weak. We should praise God for the fact that he even considers us. The fact that he uses us in in ministry. Mary's that way. She knows there's nothing good and desirable in her, which is why in this song she expresses how great God is and how undeserving she is. She expresses the greatness of God's gift to her in spite of who she is. And once again, another great principle for worship here from Mary. Worship is to be a humble expression of God's greatness. Worship is to be a humble expression of God's greatness. First, our worship acknowledges the holiness of God, the greatness of God, and the sinfulness of man. And it also acknowledges the greatness of what God has done for us and what God chooses to do through us because we are weak. We are quick to sin. We are undeserving, fallen people. Mary understood that. Third, Mary's song is a great song because it's a thankful song. This entire passage just spills over with Mary's gratitude. Mary was so very thankful for this privilege and calling. And folks, being thankful and giving thanks is a big, big part of worship. How much time do you spend thanking God? Truly giving thanks. Truly being thankful. It's a major emphasis in Scripture. 
Did you know that thanks to the Lord, that, that phrase is given and it's called for over 130 times in the Bible? You know what a principle we learn about Bible study is? When God says something over and over and over and over and over and over again means we're not getting it. He knows we need to hear it over and over and over and over again. He don't want you to pass over it like, oh, he's calling me to be thankful again. I'm going to move on without giving thanks, you know? No, he's highlighting this. We're, we're to be thankful in our worship. And, and Mary is clearly thankful. She is grateful, which is what makes this song a great song of praise. Mary's song is also glorious and God-honoring because it's centered on God's plan. Mary understands that though she plays a key role in God's kingdom story, which I think we would all agree with that, right? That she plays a key role in God's kingdom story, I think we would agree with that. She understands that her that, that God's plans are bigger than hers, and they're bigger than us. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You see, this song is not just centered upon what God is doing at this point in time for Mary, but upon his bigger plan that has been unfolding from the beginning and his work that carries on from generation to generation. Mary understood that there was something much bigger taking place, a bigger plan unfolding, and we need to realize that as well. When we worship the Lord, though we should praise him, for the work that he's doing in our life, our praise should go beyond that. Though we should praise him for that, we should just see ourselves as just a small part in this larger unfolding story that is taking place. And we need to spend time praising God for the work he has done in the past, the work he is doing at present, and the work he'll continue to do long after we leave this earth, if the Lord delays his coming. Ligon Duncan said this. He said, the Christian life, I love this, is the healthiest that is anchored in our understanding that there is something bigger than us. So very true. You know why? Because when we're mindful of the fact that we simply play a part in a much bigger story that's unfolding, it keeps us from being centered upon ourselves and instead being centered upon Christ. Notice also, Mary's song is centered on God's promises. Look at verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Here Mary is praising God for being true to his promises. Our God is dependable, isn't he? He's not forgetful. He's faithful. He doesn't change in midstream and go another direction. Say, no, I know I promised that, but I'm going to do this now. No, he doesn't do that. He's, he's faithful. And Mary understood this, which is why she says what she does here. She calls our attention to the fact that God has been faithful to the promises he made long ago. And she explains here that God is going to fulfill all the promises that he made throughout his word in Jesus. And he does just that. And we should praise him for that as well. Believers, we like Mary should be praising the Lord for all the promises that he has already fulfilled in sending his son. And we, like Mary, should also trust in the fact that God is going to fulfill the rest when Christ returns for his own. One last point here, very important. 
Mary's song is a wonderful and worshipful song because it's centered on God's gospel. That's what makes this a wonderful Christmas song is because it's all about what God has done to save his people through the person and work of Jesus. She says, God, my Savior, you have looked down on me in my humble estate. You have shown your mercy toward me. You've sent your son to me that I might live. She says, you have filled me with good things. Mary is centered upon the gospel. She says, God, my Savior, you have looked down upon us. You have shown mercy to us. You have sent your son to us so that we might be saved. And like I've said time and time again in here, this time of year, this is where our focus should be as well, believers. The gospel should be on our minds this time of year. Though it's Christmas time and the images we see this time of year are babies and mangers and stables, the cross should be on our minds because we know, believers, like Mary, that this baby was sent for a reason. He was sent to save us. He was sent to go to the cross to accomplish our salvation. And our songs of praise, especially this time of year, should be focused on that. That's why I love the songs that we've been singing this morning and, and others that focus on King Jesus who's coming to save. One of my favorites is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Listen to these lyrics. It says, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. That's the Christmas story. It's Emmanuel. It's God taking on flesh, becoming one of us. To save us. It's about a king coming for the purpose of reconciling sinners to God. And if you're here this morning and you have yet to experience this great salvation that comes through knowing and trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, I pray today be the day that this happens. Today be the day you turn the reins over. Quit going at life on your own. That's not what you were made for. You were made for God. And he has made a way for you to be made right with him through his son, Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. Would you pray with me?